Welcome everybody. Tyndall, welcome back after eight, ten years. Somewhere along there. Good gosh. And Daddy Tom is here and thank you for being here, Tom. And we have some new guests and thank you for y'all being here. This is a place of non-judgment. So you are welcome here and we all have pain and um, so Tyndall is going to share her story and I'm going to pray. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tyndall, then I'm going to pray for her and welcome Tyndall up. And Tom, are you going to kind of give you the dad's perspective as well? Perfect. I'm going to play whatever role she wants me to play. I get it. That can shift at any moment. I get it. So Tyndall grew up in Atlanta in the All-American family. She's got four brothers. These are very talented siblings. Three. You're the fourth. Uh, four counting her. Uh, three very talented sibling boys and um, went to Walton High School. Grew up in a Christian family. Grew up in this church. However, she did not have an encounter with the Lord while she was here and it wasn't until she went to college and there was a lot of damage that happened in her life. She was trying to find uh, her place, her purpose, and uh, she's going to tell you about that. She had an honest encounter with God later on in life in college, if I'm not mistaken. And I think mom and dad invited you to go hear something at the Passion. Was it the Passion Church? Is that where it was? Or uh, yeah, Passion Conference? Uh-huh. And that's kind of when the light bulb went off and things started to change for her. So. She's got a wonderful story. She's happily married. She's got four children. Live here in Marietta. Mm-hmm. And a dog. A dog. And a dog. She loves to write. <laughs> she loves to write. She loves to counsel. She's a small group leader for her teenage girls. And um, she's going to come share her story. So I'm going to pray first and then welcome you up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for being in our midst. And thank you for Tyndall and the work you've done in her life. And We just pray, Lord, that her words will be your words and that we will leave here with hope and encouragement and some nuggets of wisdom. And Father, we just pray for Tom, that he will give us the perspective of the dad and what he's been through and what he's learned. And God, we just thank you in advance for this time together. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Like he said, I'm Tyndall and gave you kind of the cliff notes. But um, yeah, I've got four kids. My husband and I have been married almost um, 14 years. And our kids range, range from 10 to 3, so we, we aren't dealing with a ton of rebellion yet, except for our 3-year-old is giving us a run for our money. So when he gets to high school, I'll probably be right back in this room. Um, but yeah, I was born like five minutes from here. Um, grew, yeah, like you said, grew up in this church. My mom was also brave enough, crazy enough to have four kids. And um, I'm the third, like I said, at four. And two older brothers, one younger brother. Um, and I, um, everybody felt bad for me that I didn't have a sister, but I didn't have to share my dad or my closet with a girl. So I was fine with it. I had to share my closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have to share a bathroom, though, with three brothers for 17 years, which I actually felt like was the hardest part of my childhood. Um, but we, we had a really great family growing up, and we still have a great family, but we were just all really close. We loved being together. We had tons of fun together. Um, he, if you guys do the Enneagram, he's a seven, which is like the fun number. Um, but just, he always had such a zest for life and joy that he brought into our home. Um, my mom is like an incredible peace bringer and, um, homemaker. And she really sacrificed, you know, most of her life so that I could have a pretty worry-free childhood. Um, so we were, yeah, like you said, kind of the, the all American family, um, around fourth grade, I really started to be able to, um, unable to thrive in public school. I had been diagnosed with ADHD and you'll see I'll move all around. <laughs> um, but my, my teacher had actually just ended up putting my desk in the corner because I had distracted the whole class um, by the end of the year. Um, so they moved me over to a small um, Christian private school, and that was kind of the first time I realized like I didn't want to stand out, like I wanted to fit in, be a part of the crowd. Um, and I was super extroverted, loved making friends, and um, the small Christian school was great for my learning, but not so great for my social life. Um, and they did not have a high school. So mid-middle school, I went back to public middle school, um, and public middle school kind of taught me two things. One, all the girls thought my older brothers were very cute, and um, my faith was, or Christianity wasn't going to give me what I really wanted in middle school. Um, Up until this point, I had kind of seen God like Santa Claus, like if I was good and I asked him for stuff, he'd give it to me. But, um, you know, by middle school, I was like, I want a boyfriend and popularity, and I didn't see God um, giving me any of that. So, um, end of middle school, I kind of 
going into high school kind of had a little bit of like an identity crisis, I would say, like, who was I outside of my family? I got to high school and my second oldest brother was the quarterback of the football team and um, the homecoming king and he ended up marrying his high school sweetheart and just like all around incredible human and he still is. He runs 100 mile marathons now so he hasn't slowed down. (laughs) Um, And then Christian who had already graduated was like the worship leader at church and um, super cute to all the girls and um, just an incredible guy. So I kind of came into high school trying to figure out who I was inside my family and outside my family. I was very much just kind of the average middle kid, wasn't stellar at school or sports. Um, So I really thought if I could get into the popular crowd, I'd feel like I had a place to belong. Um, So I actually ended up writing a goodbye letter to God freshman year of high school and um, just kind of saying, like, I'm done. Um, Faith was never really my thing. It was very much a family thing. It felt inherited kind of like brown hair, like I um, kind of came into a Christian home, so I was a Christian. Um, but it was easy to walk away from something that, you know, wasn't wasn't really mine. So after I wrote that goodbye letter, I kind of started to walk down the path of finding friends who um, would invite me to parties and um, I told some girls I wanted to drink. And it, I mean, again, I was pretty extroverted, so it was easy to get invited to a party. And um, when I was there, it was uh, they were so eager to give a standfill alcohol because none of my brothers drank and they were very much known for not drinking. And I ended up drinking so much the first night that I um, got alcohol poisoning. Um, you think that would have like deterred me back, but um, no. So my parents caught me drinking pretty shortly afterwards. And actually my friends, we were talking about this sitting out in the cafe. My friends actually ratted me out on where I had stashed all my vodka. Um, and so they caught me drinking, I think it was freshman year. Um, I think that's- Kind of the, when the blue eye shadow phase uh-huh. That's what they call it, the I blue eye shadow. shadow phase. She had the uh-huh. eyes were, somehow, they said they the eyes heavy. The lids came down. I still remember that Charlotte Roos, like, blue eye shadow. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I remember telling them, like, you know, just because my saintly brothers didn't drink, you know, didn't mean this isn't totally normal and you guys are overreacting. You know, the sales pitch of high schoolers everywhere. Um, so... We're going to kind of pass it back and forth just on perspective. So I wanted to ask him, what were you thinking when you first realized I was drinking? And I feel like you guys handled it so much differently than I, even I probably would handle it now as a parent because um, you didn't let fear take over. Can yeah. you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I don't know why I believe this, but um, well, first of all, I believe everybody rebels, right? So I rebel. I think there's a time in, in our our spiritual journey whether it's the beginning or somewhere in the middle we're like I don't know if following God's really what I want to do and I, I'm like I choose to choose my own path and I don't think that path is any different like I don't think my sin or anything my kids were ever going to do is any different than things that I've done or doing so I tried to look at it from the mindset of we all are the same in God's eyes. And so what was left with, okay, well, then there's fear. Like you said, mm-hmm. the fear. Um, so we're equal. It's not like you're abandoning us. It's like we're all on this journey to try to choose and surrender to God. I mean, think about that idea. You're going to give your life to God. You're going to surrender your life to God. Who does that? Just, okay, sure. God, you can have everything. and. So I, I felt that that was difficult. Um, but I think the fear thing came, and I think I realized, or we realized, that if we are fearful, then we're teaching our kids there's something to be afraid of. Like, we're teaching them that, like, God may not have this. There may be things that are going to happen, and we need to be afraid because there's things to be afraid of. Versus, and you said this about when you introduced yourself or introduced the topic, is we're in a lot of pain. Right, and what God offers is joy. Like we talk about in Christianity, we talk about good and bad. I think when you talk about pain and joy, right? Because God wants us to have joy, right? And the enemy wants us to be in pain. So I believe, to kind of answer your question, I really believe that God would win. His story would win. Like the joy, if we got out of the way, Mm. right? Because I could get into the way. I could try to control her. I could try to do all these things, which we definitely tried. But if I don't handle this well, I'm going to get in the way of God 
revealing to Tyndall that he loves her and that he has the best life for her and that he wants something from her. So if I'm yell or react or hold on or control or freak out, I'm in the way of God's story. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to shepherd her and help her meet God. Mm-hmm. It's a spiritual problem. Yeah, yeah. So I, I hope that answers the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's great. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, now as a parent myself, so much easier said than done. Yeah. Um, yeah, and one thing we did, you, you did was, um, you were so good at pursuing the relationship with me. And uh, after freshman year, um, he took me to father-daughter camp at J.H. Ranch. Um, which is out in California, and I remember we went and rented a white Mustang convertible. Um, what was the music we listened to? It was Michelle Branch and Avril Lavigne. That's right, yeah. Um, like I was trying to find her music, which was good. Which yeah, I he liked, liked it. Liked, you still liked, listen to Michelle I liked, Branch. I liked, I liked um, but yeah, so he was so good about really pursuing a relationship with me. Like when we spent time together, it wasn't like he was trying to get out of me what I was doing or uh, change my opinion about things. I mean, he really just wanted to like get to know me, like mm-hmm. ask lots of questions about my friends and the things I was interested in, my music, and um, which was unique because most of my friends' parents were like just trying to keep them, basically keep them from dying, it felt like. Um, oh, well, let me say this too about her friend. that, that Her friends took, took our side, mm-hmm. which I think was, I, I started watching this happen. Because By they, the end, not well, at the beginning. Well, actually, pretty, I mean, like the one that told us about the alcohol. Oh, yeah, she was, yeah. Like, when we would hang out with her friends, they knew that we actually really loved you. Yes, yes. And the, they started going, you, they, like, like they you care. got a good thing here because your parents actually love you. And I think that was part of the story. Yeah, and yeah, and a lot of them didn't have that at home. Um but yeah, so while we were at father-daughter camp, one of the things that they were, you know, told the dads to talk about, and I don't remember if they told us all in group or whatever, but was we were supposed to go on a walk and talk about purity, which, you know, as a 15-year-old girl, is like a nightmare. You're stuck in the woods with your dad talking about purity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's <laughs> go. That's why they were remote. Um, but Go deep into the woods. <laughs> But then you were supposed to get, you had a ring and it was like, you know, we were supposed to talk about it and you were going to give me a ring. And, um, I honestly remember being like, this is dumb. Yeah. I'm going to stay pure. Like, no, I don't want to have sex. Like I'm fine with the drinking and the drugs, but I was like, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. That's like a different thing. And I don't know why I felt that way. I just remember trying to be like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Can we not have this conversation? (laughs) But, uh, he always talked about high school, um, like whitewater rafting, rafting, and I feel like, I don't actually know if this is when we had the conversation. It was right, I feel like it was right around then, but... Um, yeah, because we'd just gone rafting. Oh, that's why, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, see, it was lots of fun. He jumped out of the boat. Um, but yeah, we, you talked about it like whitewater rafting. You're like, I, I can see when the rapids are coming, and you think that you can just control this, and you'll be fine. You'll just go down, and you'll go down this path, and it won't harm you. But I know the rapids are coming, and once the rapids come, like, I can't save you from it. And he said, sin has its own prepackaged consequences. And once those prepackaged consequences come, like, I, there is no rescuing you. Um, so I, I feel like whenever we've described the story, because we've done this before, we have different, re- like, memories of the Rapids talk. Yeah. That's how I remember it. Is that how you gave it? <laughs> well, well, I thought, back to what I said earlier, is I want to be, so I think of my role as a parent, I don't know how y'all think about it, but I think of it as I have three roles. And it greatly shifts when they go, when they go to high school. Like I move from this sort of, I'm authoritarian, right? And my goal really is to kind of get you to submit to God, right? You're gonna to submit to my authority. And, but then when you move into the, you move into high school, I'm moving into more kind of like, I'm, I, I got a different role. I, I can't control you anymore. I mean, you leave and you, yeah. you're moving in. So I think of myself more as a coach. And so, um, and I thought about when I kind of moved into that role, I think of it as, and she's talked about this, I think of it as, I don't know, again, I don't know how y'all think about your role, but I thought of it as connect, manage, and influence. Like I want to connect with her. And so I probably, I thought about it as like 70% of the time I'm pursuing her Mm -hmm. and like that's why I went on that trip with her. That's why we would go shopping regardless of what she did. Regardless of what she did, it was a proactive, I'm pursuing you and I want to connect with you and we don't talk about what you're doing wrong. We don't talk about your school. We don't talk about your behavior. We just hang out because I'm pursuing you and I love you unconditionally and there is no transactional love. It is unconditional. 
means that you have to do nothing to get my love. So I'm, I'm all in. So I wanted to be like 70% there. Um, then there was this coaching, th- the coaching part, which the, the influence part was when we would have these talks. Yeah. Um, and now I'm going to have a talk, you know. <laughs> and so um, I just, for, for some reason, probably because the way I was raised, I put, I, I remember thinking, maybe God just revealed this. He's like, Tom, when you make a sales presentation to win a project, which is very important to you, how much time do you prepare? And I would say, I prepare like, it might be six to eight hours to prepare. Ed, you know what I'm talking about, you know? And um, the guy's like, well, how much are you gonna prepare when you talk to your daughter about the most important things in life? And I'm like, uh, I guess I probably should prepare. You know, cause, you know so I like had to- it's Well, like, he only I, had one hard kid, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had to talk no, to I'm just kidding, were, I'm just kidding. But that's why I wanted to try to, I would think about how can I communicate this topic of sex and consequences and how can I demonstrate to her that I'm no different than she is and we are peers and I'm trying to influence you and be come alongside of you and point you to truth and not try to be your parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like that was important and influence. So the idea of the rapid story was we'd just gone down the river and they pulled us over and they stopped before this really bad rapid where there was the rocks, there was these mm-hmm. two rocks. And so the water would go through the rocks and if people fell in, they would, get, they would get rushed through those rocks and they would die. And so they stopped. Now we didn't know, we'd never been down the river. And so we didn't know what was that. So they stopped and we were like, what are we doing? You know. <laughs> and so the next day or the two days later, we went to have this talk. And I feel like God was, as I was preparing this talk, I was like, I want you, I want to talk to you about sex, right? I want you to talk to you about this topic. And I want you to know, by the way, when I talk to you, I've already been down the river. So it's not that I'm better than you. It's not that I know things. It's just that I've already been down the river and I've already seen the rapids and I know where they are and I'm coming back up the river and I'm telling you where they are. And so it kind of positioned us. I remember it resonated with you, which you still talk about because it positioned us as equals, not you need to do this. And it also was helping her to see that it's just about you and what what the rapids mean to you, not not trying to tell you not to do yeah. something. Well, and I remember you asked me a lot of questions about what do you want your future to look like. Yeah. Which is like as a high schooler, you know, your whole world's right here. Um, but for someone to say like, what do you what do you want your future marriage to look like? What do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I but those questions I remember because those are the only ones that actually got me to think like, oh, maybe I should consider you know what he's saying. Um, but I didn't, so. Um, well, you considered it. I considered it. And by the way, I want to say that, that when I looked at our, my roles to influence was not to get her to change. Mm-hmm. It was, and that's really important. That was not my job. My job was to get her to open to the truth. I wanted to put truth on the table, and just like food, I can't force you to eat it. I wanted to be able to say, here's truth. I would like you to consider truth. You have to decide if you want to yeah. embrace that truth. It's my job as a parent. I can't control. I am. I have job is to make sure that truth is attractive. And so, yeah. So and like we had these talks. Yeah. She would hang out with me, and she would go to lunch with me, and we would go to my office. I remember we had a long talk about. You were saying um, I don't want to have sex. You said that in my office. You told your father that. And I said, "Cool." She goes, well, "But I, I am going to drink." And I'm like, "Well, you know that if you drink, you'll have sex." That's what, yeah, I'm right. Yeah. I said, "Well," and by the way, let's you know, this was before the sex talk because we didn't really have to talk about sex. She didn't want to have sex, but you did tell me that. I said, "But I'm going to drink." I said, "Well, if you drink, you'll have sex." Yeah, yeah, and that I think that's what you used in the rapids. You're like, yeah. you, you said, because you, I was like, well, I'm fine with these things, so I'm not okay with this. And you're like, well, this leads to this. Um, so yeah, we kind of we went back, to, or we, you know, we we had that great trip, and then we got back, and then sophomore year started, and like I basically, you know, discarded everything he told me, um, even though it was very well presented. Thank you, thank you for that. I had a great PowerPoint. Yeah. It was really good PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the yeah. woods, yeah. yeah. The, I brought it with me. I brought yeah. a laptop. Oh, that's I had good I little puppets. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's my nightmare. Y'all seen What About Bob? That is, that's the puppets. The puppet scene. Yeah. It was like one of our family movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came back and kind of just went back to what I was doing. And I honestly, like, for a while it kind of worked. And I feel like you even said that when we were talking about the rapids. It's like, yeah, you know, for, for a minute it'll work. 
you know, I had the boyfriend, or I dated the guys I wanted to date, I was invited to all the parties, I had all the friends I wanted, and I was kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, the, the tension I had was with my family. Um, and I really thought, like, they were the problem. If everybody, if everybody would just leave me alone and let me drink and be around my friends and have fun, because in my head that was all it was. I was just having a good time. But, like, he knew the rapids were coming, and so junior year... Um, I started dating someone seriously, which in high school terms, I think we'd been together like two months. Um, but I started dating someone seriously, and I knew he had um, slept with a girl before me, and I was like, I don't remember why I said I wasn't, I was going to stay pure. And like, I don't remember why this is a big deal. And all my friends were sleeping with their boyfriends. And um, so I just kind of decided, I didn't like make a big decision. I was just like, I'm just going to stop saying no when he asks. And I remember afterwards leaving his house and calling my three best friends crying and being like, why is this a big deal? Everybody says this isn't a big deal. But I was so heartbroken and so full of shame. Um, And that was really when the rapids hit for me. That was my junior year. And after that, I felt like God was done with me. I felt like he was like, well, you're too far in now. Um, And I started drinking all the time to basically kind of keep up with the lifestyle I was living. Um, to keep sleeping with my boyfriend and then our relationship was really terrible because we were sleeping together and he had anger issues and then I mean there was just so much more to lose after that Um, and I alcohol kept becoming more and more of a problem and less of something I had control over Um, and I guess it was yeah mid-junior year I and I started getting to the point where I would drink so much I would black out which is you don't remember anything that happens and um, I drank so much one night and cheated on him and the next morning, my friends had to tell me what had happened. And I was like, oh, I won't tell him because it's high school. Nobody will talk about it. <laughs> be fine. Um, and, of course, that's not. Oh, wait, did I miss something I was going to ask you? Um, okay. You're on a roll. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, okay, well, I'll just ask you that next. But, um, so, yeah, I, I drank too much, cheated on him. And we were at lunch, actually. And I got, and he had taken me to lunch to talk about my drinking problem. Um, she came up to us. We were at a football game. At its school, yeah, a school Taylor function. Was a quarterback at a football, which is an interesting story because in front of all of my peers, while my son's on the field, she comes up and she's drunk at a game, which kind of reveals the unconditional love thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the dealing with the, the situation where, well, you just, I mean, I don't need to explain it, you guys get it. And, um, but it was an opportunity to demonstrate that we loved her regardless of what she was doing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he had taken me to lunch after that football game. <laughs> I knew the other one. Yeah, yeah. Was, that was, that was yeah we wasn't, talk, yeah. yeah. Well, and I was always, there was consequences in all this. This makes it sound like I just got to keep going on my merry way, but I did not. I think I was grounded for like six months between freshman and sophomore year. She lost her car. I lost, lost my car. Life. I lost my phone. They made, ask, yeah. I'm sure you all can ask questions about that. Um, you know. Yeah, well, there was lots of consequences along the way. It's not like they were just like giving me these sweet talks and then letting me go back to the party. Um, but Let's we have were, your keys. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were at lunch, and, and my boyfriend at the time kept calling me. And I knew that, of course, when he called me like for the 15th time, I was like, oh, I bet he found out. Um, so I walked away, answered the phone, and he's screaming at me and, like I said, he'd already had anger issues. He actually ended up getting put in jail for anger issues during school because um, he punched a guy. Um, but anyway, so he was very angry, not someone you really wanted to mess with. And um, he told me he was basically going to ruin my life. Like, I was not going to be invited to anything anymore. No one was going to be able to date me. All my friends were going to stop hanging out with me. Like, this whole world I had created that was my belonging and my everything just completely got pulled out from under me in a matter of a phone call. Um and I walked back to the table, and I was like, and you're like, you know, are you okay? And I was like, well, I don't have anything left to lose at this point. So I just told him what happened. I'm like, no, actually, you know, he broke up with me. I cheated on him and, you know, gave you the whole sob story. And he was like, this is what I wanted to protect you from. Like, the, the rapids have hit. I can't, there's nothing I can do now. Like, sin has handed out the consequences, and I can't save you from this. And, you know, he let me go to a friend's house because um, I was just emotionally a wreck. But I went to a friend's house and, you know, basically spent the day crying there. Um, and y'all weren't home when I came back. They, you had a, I think they had a prom picture party or something for, one of, for my younger brother. And, but I came home and him and my mom had left a dozen red roses on my bedside table that just said, you are dearly loved. 
and like they wanted me to know when my world that I had created had felt like it was falling apart that they still loved me and they did a great job of really just subtly pointing me back to that unconditional love of Jesus so you want to tell your why y'all did that uh, well it's just how we felt we were and I, I don't I mean I don't know how you, maybe I didn't handle it this way but I I, I remember when you told me about what had happened that I didn't want to say "told you so," but I wanted to. I wanted to make. I just wanted to point out what God has for you. Like this is what mm-hmm. God doesn't. This is what, this is the. This is what God's trying to protect you from, and He has something better. But it related to how I mean, we just wanted to treat. What would we do if we loved you? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, if somebody's in pain. And you love them dearly. What would you do? And that's what we came up with. Um, and that, that never, I mean, we just didn't have any resentments towards you. Yeah. You know, there was no, um, I think God healed us from any anger. You know, there was, there was, so it was easy, it was easy to do those things, I think. Yeah. And super impactful on the receiving end when you know you haven't deserved something at all. I mean, I was very unlovable at this point in my life. I mean, yeah, we had a, we just a lot of punches. Yeah, they, yeah, it was a. Uh, um, but yeah, so after after that, I mean, my world really did came come crashing down around me. Um, and I mean, all his promises he made on the phone were definitely true. Someone had to ask him before they could ask me to prom. It was a very weird, you know, high school is a very weird <laughs> experience. Um, but, I mean, really, all my friends left. They all went, and I was grounded because of what had happened at school, at the football game anyway. So I was, but all my friends basically just moved on, and it was like I was never part of the group, and they all had the parties, and I wasn't invited. And then he started dating one of my friends, and I was like, so what do I, how do, I have no coping skills, or I don't have any faith or anything, so what do I do? I just start drinking all the time. And smoking weed. So I smoked weed before school every morning, and then I would drink every afternoon, and on the weekends drink until I blacked out. And um, I mean, it got to the point where I was just—I don't—I don't know that I was ever really not on anything. Uh, by the end of that was by the end of junior year, going into senior year. I mean, I'm really kind of stumbled into graduation, just trying to numb. That was I, my whole goal was just to numb, so if I could feel okay about. Um, you know, what was going on at school. And the only way I knew to do that was drugs and alcohol. So, um, yeah, that, that the rest of high school was just super dark for me. And I did manage to graduate and had been accepted. And I really don't know how, probably by the <laughs> grace of God or that out-of-state tuition, but had been accepted to Auburn University. Um, and everybody told them they were crazy to let me go to a big SEC school um, out-of-state on out-of-state tuition and yeah I mean I remember my I mean y'all's like closest friends I mean I feel like my grandparents might have even said don't let her go yeah, they, they said don't yeah how did how did y'all what made y'all say yes I think we were balancing danger and trust you know like is it dangerous to to let you go or do we want to demonstrate we trust you, which we felt like you would rise to that trust? Because it's, it's the highest form of motivation is trust, to say, I trust you with this. Um, and I think that was, there was definitely a debate. Mm-hmm. But we built, we ultimately, and this is probably the Holy Spirit revealed to us that, you know, and you'd kind of been moving and you'd started, you were moving in the right direction. That was probably the reason we chose the trust route. We're going to trust you with this. We yeah. believe in you. We're going to continue to invest in you. We're going to typically, we believe that you're going to move in the right. This is not who you are. We didn't, yeah. you know, we didn't want to think, this is who, you're the person that does this. No, you just need to start over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in, because you were moving in the right direction that summer. Yeah, it really was kind of the summer. And we also knew we could pull the plug at any point. I yeah. mean, you know, if she goes to, uh-huh. she goes off the deep end, we always just, yeah, we'll, like you're we'll coming home. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and I think you guys knew too that like living in the shadow of what everyone expected of me because of the family that I had been raised in, which there was nothing wrong with any of it. It's just I was kind of crumbling under that, and yeah. getting away and starting over could be a fresh thing. And it was, and it was like I went to Auburn, and I started it very much the way I ended high school. You know, I I picked the craziest sorority I could. Um, 
I started drinking right away, found friends that loved drinking, you know, I mean, went to all the parties. I mean, did the very much the typical college thing for like the first two months. And then I kind of just looked around and I was like, this really isn't enjoyable still. Like I don't, and, and no one knew my family. So I'm like, nobody knows my family's reputation. Like I could just start over. I could be whoever I want to be. So I was not like looking for faith or looking for God. I was in no, I wasn't like on some, you know, quest journey. I just was like, I'm going to start cleaning my life up a little bit. I was like, I'm, I'm embarrassed of who I am. So I was like, okay, well, I'll stop doing drugs and I'll stop sleeping around. And those will be my, and then I'll just have like a little, like a little bit neater life. Um, but I was not looking for God, but I love, you know, the story of the Bible when he talks about leaving the 99 to come after the one. And I felt like that was when he was coming after me. And I had no idea. I mean, I was just, you know, like the dumb sheep over there grazing, but he was coming after me. Um, I called my mom one night and I had met some girls in my sorority and they were going to go to a sorority Bible study. Um, and I was like, mom, I think I'm going to go to the, my sorority's Bible study. And she was like, you have to tell me to sit down before you say stuff like that. Um, that was, it was so I, but I had just, they saw that the like edges of my heart were starting to soften. Um, and that I was maybe more willing to listen. So yeah, like, like John said, I was, that was the, um, my freshman year, the um, winter break of freshman year, Christian, my oldest brother was leading at his first ever passion conference. And they told me like, and well, and I should back up and say Christian and his wife, Christian got married my junior year of high school. So Christian and I, he met his wife when I was a freshman in high school. So they literally walked high school with me because they moved back to Atlanta. I was super close with his wife. She basically mentored me through my own mess. I mean, and she, that him and her were just incredible to me. So anytime they were like, should we go support Christian? We want to come with us. I'm like, yes, because he had been so supportive and loving to me. I mean, I remember he would just randomly be like, God, to know that God's going to do great things in your life. I'm like, you have the wrong sibling. Like, <laughs> Taylor's over there. <laughs> um, but he, so anyway, when they invited me to go, um, I was like, sure, yeah, we'll go. And I, I, and like he said, I think he, he was like, we'll go shopping and we'll have dinner. And it was in Nashville. Nashville. It was in yeah. Nashville. And I was like, I haven't been in Nashville. So um, I was going to ask if you, how did you all know it was time to invite me? Because you didn't, they didn't make me go to church with them. I should, I should preface that. So, like, they went to church every Sunday. They all had moved over to Andy's, to Buckhead Church. And so I wouldn't... We, went to, we started going to North Point from this church because... Oh, yeah, would I would go, listen to Andy. Would go to North Point. Mm-hmm. Something had happened here with her <coughs> girlfriends, or how she was treated in small group. And I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong, but she just decided from the consequences yeah. from what had happened. And so people were talking. I don't know, but you can tell that if you want. But she wanted to go to North Point. And that was our philosophy. Our philosophy is church is about our children, not about us. And so our, the three boys loved it here, mm-hmm. and she didn't. And stayed. And stayed. And, we, and so I was involved with the youth ministry at that point. But then she's, she wanted to go to North Point, so we, we went to North Point. Yeah. Um, so your question is how did we know... I don't really, I mean, we just, it's kind of like you were saying, we just wanted to pursue you. So anytime we could invite Mm -hmm. you to anything that you would go to, we would try to make it as enticing as possible and just let you know that you were loved because we believed kind of like the roses story that the love, the world doesn't love. Love comes from God. And so love wins. So how can we demonstrate we love you? And this is what love looks like because you're going to find out, which you're starting to see, that the world doesn't love. The world, world has a ranking system. And if you play well and play by the rules, we will like you as long as you keep moving up the pyramid. Yeah. Um, and so we just kept waiting for that story to unfold. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was, yeah. we would pursue you if you still didn't. And here's the thing I believe is true. I don't know if y'all believe this, but I believe relationship with your children is a choice. It's a decision. If you love your children and you accept them and you value them, who doesn't want to be around people that love, accept, and value them? So I just felt like we should always have a relationship. and Because whatever you do, you're accepted. Yeah. The relationship wasn't on the line. Yeah, the relationship wasn't. And if you don't want to. And now you go off to college. Now it's about a money thing. It's like, well, I'll pay for it if it works out. If it doesn't work out, I won't pay for it. You and I are fine. I would try to separate the child from the behavior. Right, you're doing this. Therefore, if you drink and drive, therefore I'm not going to pay for a car. You want to go to the mall. 
there's no connection. They're like the consequences are related to the the behavior. It's not based on our relationship. I'm never the heavy. I'm never the, mm-hmm. the I'm never the consequence. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and I mean I I do think well, and it was over winter break anyway, so I was like I was home, but um I honestly looking back, I'm still shocked I went. Because I actually went to the conference. I mean, I, I went yeah, going to see I Christian. I think you wanted to go to Nashville. Yeah, I'm sure I wanted to go to Nashville. Did we take anybody else? <laughs> I mean, I think my boyfriend at the time went with us, but not with us. Like, he drove up, too. Oh, okay. He was there. Yeah, but I don't know. None of the other siblings went. Uh, and, yeah. and he doesn't matter. But, yeah, I, we, um, so we went up. And, again, like, I don't, I don't even remember how I got into, but I ended up being at the Beth Moore breakout session, which, again, like, I don't know how I ended up there. <laughs> but, God. yeah. God was- but I was there, and she was talking about the pit of sin, and she talked about how in her own life she had been in the pit of sin and how, like, God had lifted her out of the pit of sin. And she, she read Psalm 40 where it said, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And I, I knew sitting, I can still picture where I was sitting, like, I had put myself in the pit of sin, and only God was going to be able to lift me out. I could not get myself out of it. And so that night, we went to see my brother sing, which was the whole reason we were there. But um, the song he was there to sing was Jesus Paid It All. And the chorus says, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. And, and then I was like, okay, like, I give, I give it all to you. And I think before that, I would say, like, I, I knew about God, I believed in God, but I had never surrendered to God. Um, and that night I was like, I, you can have it all. Like, I can't, I clearly am just making a mess of things. Um, I, like, I trust you. And so, you know, I left, but then I'm going back to college. I'm going back to my freshman year at Auburn University. So it's not like I went back and everything was just, like, perfect. I had to basically, like, relearn how to live, it felt like, how to, how to cope, how to deal with pain, how to um, make friends. I mean, I, I came back and all my friends drank. And I all of a sudden was like, wait am I going to do that? What am I going to do now? What am I going to do in dating relationships? I was dating somebody when I went to Passion. We broke up when I got back. Um, I just felt like I had I like had to scratch my life clean and start over. And I really did that just praying, spending time with God. And I mean, I would pray for Christian friends. I would pray for, and I really just got to know him. And my faith really became my own. Like it wasn't my parents anymore. It was mine. Um, and the one thing I really struggled with was, was drinking. I was like, okay, well, I'll just be more responsible. And I, I mean, I was 19 at the time. I don't know what 19-year-old is responsible with alcohol. But and I, was, I was like, I'll be sober-minded. Um, but I, I'm really, I remember, like, fighting with God. Like, and he was like, give it up. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I got this. Um, but then I went out. I, the summer after freshman year, I went out with old high school friends and drank so much I blacked out. And I, like, woke up the next morning, and I just... There was no condemnation in this, but God said, this is why I don't want you to do this. Like, I'm trying to protect you for something. I have something better for you. And I was like, okay, fine, I'm done. So I knew I had a, a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol, um, and I needed a very hard reset before I could ever responsibly touch it again. So gave that up, um, and I just honestly got used to saying yes to God, no matter what that looked like. Um, the other thing that was hard for me was dating. I had been kind of in and out of dating relationships um, and just finding the right men. I was, like, not great at being single. Um, I was, like, a serial dater. And so I was home visiting them in between my sophomore and junior year of college. And Andy Stanley was doing a series on dating. And he talked about, if you've been in a lot of relationships, you need to take some time off dating. And he, he said, like, take a year off of dating, like reset. And I was like, oh God, please don't ask me to do that. (laughs) And then of course I was like, oh, I know he's asking me to do that. But I had just gotten so used to saying yes. So I was like, okay, fine. So I was like, I went back to college. I was like, I'm going to take a year off of dating. And like six months into the year, so did not make it the whole year, but six months into the year, I was at a friend's house and looked across the room at who would actually become my husband. And I really remember saying, like, if he comes and talks to me, I'm not telling him there's six more months. I'm like, no, getting back. (laughs) (laughs) And legitimately, he did come over. And I had actually told someone else that tried to date me that I wasn't dating for a year. So there was some, like, anyway, but he did. He came over and talked to me. We went out the next week. We were married a year and a half later. Um, But it wasn't 
I don't think God was trying to like get me to stick to the year because I did not feel like he was there was anything wrong. He just wanted me to know I was like worth dating a man that I wanted to marry and not just not being able to be single. Um, because I, my husband has a very different story than mine. And had I kept dating and kept just kind of going through guys, um, I don't think I would have believed that the man I married was I was I was worthy to marry. Um, he waited on his spouse. He and I was like surprise, um, but he did not date much. Um, and I was his first serious girlfriend, and I had to like tell him my story, which was um, probably the hardest part about our relationship was like unpacking my past. And you know we like to think sin only affects us, but in reality that's rarely true. So I had to tell him my whole story and. Um, I remember him coming back and being like, okay, well, you know, if God doesn't hold this over you, well, who am I to? And so, I mean, he's like a really great man. <laughs> um, and we ended up getting married and moving out to Houston, Texas once I graduated. And he graduated. He's an engineer. So we got married and he was doing like the oil and gas thing out in Houston. And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was a communication major, which doesn't add up to much in the real world. <laughs> but um, I always loved writing. And I started substitute teaching in high school, really, because I was, like, trying to find something to do. And um, the more girls I met, the more girls I heard with similar stories to mine. I actually substitute taught in a classroom of teen moms they had in the Texas system. Um, there was a whole class of teen moms, and, like, I would come in, and they would show me their baby pictures and talk about their... And I was like, I mean, just... I remember thinking, like, gosh, God, like, you have a plan for all these girls. But I didn't feel like there was a resource for them. I didn't feel like there was, like, a book I could hand them or someone who had been real honest about their high school experience. So um, I felt like God was like, okay, well, you write it. Like, write your story, Um, which I was not that far removed from. I was only 23 at the time. I'm like, oh, gosh, most people don't even want to, like, go to their high school reunion. Most people, nobody wants to write, like, a whole book about it. Um, but I did. I decided I was going to sit down and write it all out. Um, and it took like a little bit less than a year to write it. And I was just going to self-publish it because, you know, you can do that on Amazon so easily. And I, my poor husband was like editing it at the time. And I told, I think I had sent it to you at this point. Yeah. And um, he was in the process of working on a business book. And so I sent it to you and you were meeting with someone about a business book. So I was just going to self-publish this thing and then tell the story of Kevin meeting Kevin. Yeah, so I hired a guy to help me write my book, which is out now, but this was a long time ago, and he, in the process of meeting with this guy, which turns out he was um, well-known in the publishing industry, he worked with, who's your agent? Oh, Seeley. Yeah, but like the, the biggest agent in apparently mm-hmm. Christian publishing. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. It was a long story. I, I got connected to him through a friend. I had no clue who he was. It's a really cool God thing. And as he met with me to try to help me figure out how to do this, because I didn't know how to do it, um, he said, well, do you have anybody that can help you with writing? And I said, well, my daughter's a really good writer, cause she, and she is. And, and um, I don't think that's just a parenting thing. <laughs> um, and he said, well, what has she written? And you could tell, you know how you don't tell people, like, the whole story because you don't think they're really interested, so you just give them a little bit, and if they have to ask more, then like you really want to know about this so he kept asking questions and I'm like well she's writing what has she written so she wrote it she's writing a book about her teen years well what's it about I'm like so I finally just started telling him what the book he goes send it to me so I sent him the book and he's connected to I mean Celia Yates which is the Christian uh, agent I mean Beth Moore the Boundaries book I mean he kind of represents everybody that's in the Christian world so um I go, okay. And he, he calls me, he sends me an email the next morning. He goes, I'm mad at you. I'm like, why are you mad at me? He goes, that's what I'm asking myself. He said, because I'm, I was up all night because I started reading the book at whatever, 11 o'clock, yeah. and I just finished it. And we're going to get this book published. And so he got behind the book. He put his own money into the mm-hmm. book. He had a photographer come out. I'm he like, paid for an editor. He and I started to learn more about who he was. He paid for an editor. That's right. He paid for an editor. And, yeah. and I mean, God wanted this book out. It was really cool how, um, and then he, 
introduced her to Celia Yates. Now Celia Yates is her agent. I mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, a, it was a, I mean, it was, it's one of those things where like, you can't take any credit for it because I didn't do anything. I didn't want to tell the guy. <laughs> yeah. the book. I was like, I, he doesn't right. want to know about this. Yeah, so it ended up getting picked up by um, by a publishing house, and I I mean, I guess it What's was... What's the name of the publishing house? You know, Tyndall House. I <laughs> know, <laughs> 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 it's funny. Um, and I guess it was, I mean, I think it was like three years almost to the day when it was like sitting on a bookshelf, and I had just been so, uh, you know, I'd almost not done it. Um, but it was so cool to watch God use, you know, the hardest parts of my story in my life and then um, encourage other people with it. Um but I, I think Satan's main goal in shame is to silence us. Whenever we tell our story, whenever we open up like this, right? Like Satan hates that because there's so much healing in rooms like this and conversations like this. You know, in James, he talks about confessing to one another. But, and I'm like, I think that's twofold for accountability, but also like there's so much healing in confession, so much healing in, in talking about our pain, like you're saying. And, um, and I, I just, I like love that people use, and the, for me, this is true. Like you use your mini- misery to become your ministry. Um, because your heart breaks because you've lived it, you know. And um, so, you know, my heart was broken for all these girls that I met. And um, it's been really cool to get to meet a ton of girls who read the book and then were like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, I see there's another way. Um, like, there's, you know, there's no more, can't ask for better redemption than that. Um, but the, it's interesting after it was, after Popular came out, and it's been out 10 years now, which is why Fair's book is like yellow. Because um, <laughs> it's old. I mean, it came out when my oldest was six months old. She's 10 now. Um, and about to go to middle school. So maybe I'll and write a book. On books. Oh, yeah. And she's a writer. She loves writing. Um, but yeah, so I, I, but the two stories I hear all the time are girls who are, you know, obviously like, I relate with what you said. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to walk away and walk towards God, which is like always amazing. But then I've heard so many stories of parents who have their own story like mine and then feel like they can't share with their child or that they're unqualified to share because of their own story. And I just always like want to encourage anyone that, you know, as adults, like we've all walked through stuff that's, you know, um, that, you know, that shouldn't hold any of us back. Like I feel that with my own kids, right? I've got four of my own. My oldest is a girl. I have two girls, two boys. And I know, you know, my oldest is going to get to a point where I'm going to have to have conversations that, that I almost feel like I'm reliving, probably. And I feel like Satan's goal will be to say, like, you're unqualified to tell her not to do that. Or you're unqualified to speak into this. And, like, that is, that is not from God. Um, so that would just be my, you know, my encouragement. Um, and, like, I, I don't remember who said this, but I've been doing high school ministry now. That was the other thing I now hang out with high schoolers on a regular basis, but I love doing high school ministry because high schoolers are awesome. They're so honest. They'll tell you. One girl read my book and she's like, oh, I hate books, but yours is fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost a compliment. Yeah. Uh, for a high schooler, that is a compliment, yeah. but I mean, I love, I love being around high schoolers, but I have seen, I mean, my first group I started, those girls are in their like late 20s now, but I mean, I've watched so many girls grow up at this point. And I feel like the main thing I've seen that has been a, a game changer, and I know it was for me, is parents that pursue a relationship with their child, no matter what their child's walking through. Um, you know, they did it for me, and I feel like it, it really did make all the difference in the world. So it's kind of my final encouragement. I'll give you <laughs> You don't have to do that. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, um, Aruba. Oh Aruba. Oh gosh. Yeah, that was another. There, I forgot to say this. And there's so many points where my mom saved my life. My poor mom doesn't get enough credit because I feel like we always do this together. So we do our like side of the story. My mom, my mom was like the behind the scenes, like on her knees praying. So we went to Aruba for my senior year because all my friends were going to Mexico with a bunch of parents who were. They went to Mexico because the drinking age was 18, and they went to an all-inclusive resort. And the parents going were like. They had a parent meeting and basically said, like, we're just going to let them do what they want. That, and I don't, I don't know if y'all feel this way, but I feel like our biggest challenge with raising teenagers was the other parents. Yeah. I mean, literally, we were going to a meeting about going to Mexico, and the first, like, yeah, we're going to Mexico because of the drinking age. Yeah. So they can drink. I'm like, <laughs> what? what, are, what? <laughs> this is the parent meeting. Yeah, so <laughs> our, we came up with a different strategy. Like, what if we took you and your close friends who were else. who were better influences and, and love? And we also invited Christian and Carrie to yeah. go with us. So we tried to make a more fun. 
yeah. trip than the Mexican. Well, ironic is they were trying to make it safer, which was, I mean, wise, but um, yeah. my friends and I took the car out, stole the car in the middle of the night, went to Carlos and Charlie's, and um, met Jorn Vandersloot. The um, month before Natalie Holloway's disappearance. I have a picture of it. So I, so I, I met him. I kissed him. He emailed me. Oh god! It was like a. So anyway, that's why we have a picture together. But we, um, we got home from that trip. You know, we think nothing of it. Have a great time with our friends. He wanted to take me on a date while we were there, and I was like, eh, I don't know. I was like, I told my friend, I was like, I don't know. I get kind of a weird vibe from him, and she was like, No, go out. Thank God I didn't lust her. But, oh, um, I thought they kind of protected you from No, it. I was the one that was you. like, I get a weird, because um, he always had those two guys with him. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, um, we get home, you know, think nothing of it. He emails me a few times, and then my friend calls me, turn on the news, turn on the news, and there was his face. Um, I mean, he's still in jail. Yeah, but the so the the cool part of that that thing is so we went out, we met them at Carlos and Charlie's, and then I think at some point one of us was like, we gotta we gotta go home before our parents realized we had taken the car out, and um, and I got home, my mom's literally on her knees praying, in the foyer. I mean, like she, she knew. knew. She woke up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And she knew something was going on, and she just she prayed until they got home. Yeah, I mean and. We were with him. I mean, it, anyway, it is, yeah, I know. And, and he's been convicted of a couple murders since then. It's, yeah, he's in prison for murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, multiple women. Yeah. So, so Tom, how did, uh, you know, Farron and I went through something similar above, but how did your relationship with the boys fare out during this time? Because mm-hmm. you were obviously, I'm thinking, spending a lot of time with Tyndall, praying with Tyndall, pursuing Tyndall. How did the boys feel about all that? Uh, well, I felt that I needed to spend equal time with them. So I wasn't, probably because we'd learned from people like you, you know, that we needed to make, invest in all of our children equally. So um, I don't think, or I've ever heard that they felt like mm-hmm. um, you became the center story, right? Um, yeah. And a lot of this that she's talking about, we didn't know what was going on. I mean, we knew she was drinking. We knew she was hiding alcohol. We knew she had a... But we didn't know to the extent. So, whereas I think if we were in and out of rehab or we were doing some of those things, so we were saved yeah. from that. So so we maybe had had the severity, even though it was moving in that direction. Um, so that made it a little easier. But I remember we kind of huddled around as a family without Tyndall. Talk, they would talk to me about... What are you doing? Yeah, Taylor wanted. They t- were like, "What? What? How are? You, why are you doing this?" And so I looked at it as an opportunity because I felt like my mission, which I think helped, was my mission in all of this was to teach them how to raise their children. It was not to get Tyndall to behave. It was like I believe Tyndall, and I think our boys believe this too, that we believe Tyndall. And I remember Christian saying this to you. He, when you got married, he goes, this is the way I always saw you. This is the way God always sees you. This is how you, we see you. We don't see you as that person you were in high school. And I think we all kind of embrace that vision of her. Um, and we're fighting for that. And fighting together, together yeah. for that. And um, I wanted, I was just constantly telling them this is why. And kind of our mantra was take the punch. Um, we got punched a lot. And... You know, back to the love win things. And, and and when we got punched, I mean, there was definitely consequences. I would definitely talk to her. And I'd say, you can't speak to me that way. But uh, she was very mean to me in Aruba. I mean, very mean to me yeah. in J Tranch. But I would take the punch. And and my friends called me out in Aruba. They, my two best friends, one came from a divorced family, and one had lost her mother in high school. Um, she had died when we were freshmen. And they were like, you idiot. Like, you, your parents love you so much. We would kill to have our parents love us like you are. Like, they saw it. I mean, way before I saw it. Um, so, I mean, it's super, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I, and I don't, there was, nobody was like, we still were a f- she would hang family. Out with yeah, we so were. I was teaching them how to love her. So we all did stuff all the time. I mean, we, if she wanted to listen to rap music, she would, we would be listening to, 
Y'all would listen to Andy Stanley in the car, and I would listen to rap. Or whoever, we would have the tape in, and we'd be going somewhere, and she'd put rap on, and like, that's cool. You are loved, you are accepted, you are yeah. valued, you don't have to be different to be with us. We love you how you are. Um, so that was, that was our culture yeah. of our family. So, and by the way, if somebody came over to our house, and your kid came over to our house, and they were drunk, or they were whatever, I'm not saying anything, I don't know your children, but anybody with anybody, I mean, we want to love them. Yeah. Um, we're good at that. Yeah. And I, I do to say, like, having a different now, having two girls and two boys versus even, the, I mean, it, every family dynamic is different. And, like, our family was just kind of weird in that, like, the boys didn't require as much. Like, if I think if I had a sister, that might have been more of a challenge. Yeah. But I, I don't, it never felt like there was a competition for mom and dad's attention. And I know that that can be a real, I mean, I honestly, I feel like we deal with that with my kids. Just because some, sometimes they're two are needy at the same time. And you're like, well, how do I equally give? And I only have so much to give. But in our house, and especially I think because Christian was already married when I started going through this. I mean, when I was in the darkest part of it, Christian was married. So he's, you know, out of the house. Taylor was in college trying to figure out how to get married because um, he married his high school sweetheart. They were, like, yeah, together, like, 20 years before they ever got married. I mean, so I, I felt they, nobody was, like, you know, it's not like there was three young kids behind me, you know. So I didn't, we didn't. I will say that the mistake that I did make um, related to this topic is Taylor thought I loved Christian more. And there was a natural connection. I'm sure you guys know this. You know, you have certain children. You have a natural connection because you're more like them. A Christian, I loved music. There were certain things that we just connected on. And he wanted to be with me probably more than Taylor wanted yeah. to be with me. And Taylor yeah. wanted to be with Sally. Yeah. Well, and Taylor liked to hunt. I was a hunter. You know, like he wanted deer hunt. I mean, there were things that... And so I realized at some point, because he told me, like he thought I loved Christian more than him. And so I had done something that communicated that I loved Christian more. So that was a mistake. And I worked hard to, I started noticing. Like I might say something in the car, hey, Christian, do you like this song? But you know, Did I yeah. say that to Taylor? You know, so there were things that I definitely, I mean, of course, I'm lots of flaws as a parent, but. I'll ask another one. Did you ever go to any kind of treatment? No, I didn't. Not even outpatient? Never got a drug and alcohol evaluation? Nothing? I didn't. I, I mean, no. So, Tom, let me ask you then. When you realized you had the problem, why didn't you get an evaluation and find out the depth of the problem? Because we didn't know the level of the drinking. Like, I didn't know she was drinking before school. Uh, we knew that she'd gotten drunk a couple of times. Yeah, they really weren't aware of, of the, or that y'all didn't know how much I smoked weed. I, I didn't mean, know she smoked weed at all. Yeah, they, uh, a lot of it, I mean, I was able to, and, and I mean, honestly, like, I had a lot of friends willing to vouch for me. Like, it, I was a pretty determined kid. If I wanted to get away with something, like, they weren't aware. And, I, and again, like, this is where, and I, I don't think this is true across the board in any way, but, like, I really... I'm pretty all in or all out with life, and I felt like when I was all in with God, it it was easier. I was very black and white about it. Like I knew I couldn't do both, and which is why I I mean I I don't ever consider myself a true alcoholic. I wasn't. I had a friend that went to rehab literally about the same time I found Jesus, and I remember watching the difference in us in high school. She'd wake up in the morning and start drinking. And I was like, well, I want to get to the party. Like, I, it was a, I wanted to be with the people, and it was a social thing. Anyway, there, there were just lots of things where I'm like, it never became, it wasn't about the drinking. It was about not being able to cope. And the drinking was how I coped. So once I had God, and once I had someone to turn to in the pain, and once I, like, and, I mean, God was for me. Like, I was my life became better in, almost instantly when I stopped putting myself back in the pit when I was like I'm all in God he had good for me I mean my life is I mean I look at where I am now versus if I had just stayed down that path I'm like I mean it's all God I take no credit for my for being you know where I am 
Um, so I don't know if that answered. And, you know, as I think about it too, as I go we'll play that tape back on that question, I think when we would spend a week together, like we, there was multiple times we would spend a whole week together. Um, I never saw any, like she had to cope by drinking. Like she would go a whole week and never drink or never. And so that, I think that would have been, like if I felt like she was weird on the J Ranch, because you were definitely partying when we went to J Ranch, because you, you went to John Mayer when we got back. Well, I was making friends to party with when we got home. Right, but you weren't drinking. No, but I wasn't. Yeah, no, no, like no, 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 no. I mean, that no. was a long trip. Or other things that we would do, like when she went to Nashville with this, went to Passion. I mean, she just, so, but. I will say, had I continued down the road for even another year, I think it would have been a very different story. Because where things got really bad was between the end of junior year and senior year. And then, I mean, like, had I stayed down that path, there's no way I wouldn't have ended up in treatment. Or we were actually more worried about her being suicidal. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the bigger, and I don't, I'm, uh, we probably made mistakes related to that. I mean, we, we just were watching her. Yeah, and that's where the prayer, I mean, my mom prayed for me constantly, and there were times I was suicidal, and there was a few times that she truly saved my life by just showing up, I mean, just coming to my room, by saying, come sit with me, by, I mean, so, yeah, I think. I think, yeah, I remember one time we were worried about you. Uh, you were home. Everybody was out. It was, maybe it was New Year's Eve. It mm -hmm. was. It was New Year's Eve. And Claire knew. Because she was saying she thought you were suicidal. And I'm like, really? Uh, and, and I remember she went up and got you. And she came down. And she, the whole night, she brushed your hair. And uh, we just invited you to our party. Um, and so... Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Thank you so much. No, no problem. No problem. Can I pray for us? Yeah. yeah. Um, dear God, thank you so much um, for tonight. Thank you for rooms like this where we can just come and be honest about our pain and our need for you. Um, I pray that none of us forget how much we need you. I mean, me especially every day with my four kiddos myself. Um, and I just ask blessings on each of these um, these these parents on these families, Lord, um, what a gift it is to just love our children as much as we do. And I just ask that you um, continue to help us love with an unconditional love that is just so much harder to put into practice than you think it is. Um, and just thank you for loving us and for leading the way and for showing us what unconditional love looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.